Hello, church. We are John, Kim, and Sarah Page. We've been attending TCC for about 10 years now, and we'll be reading from John 14, verses 15 through 31 from the NIV. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while, I, while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you will be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Pages. Pastor Adam wanted me to let you know that he pulled a Pastor Steve and forgot to say something while he was up here. There's a baptism class after the service today in the conference room. So if you, if you have questions about baptism or you want to know what that's all about, this is not a commitment to being baptized. It's just an information session. And that's going on during brunch. So grab your brunch and head in there. But... Like Pastor Adam, I'll introduce myself. I'm Pastor Steve. I'm one of the, the pastoral staff here at TCC as well. I'm excited to be with you this morning. And for those of you that have gotten to know me a little bit over the last uh, eight or nine months I've been here, so I just about unplugged my microphone, you'll know there's two things. One, there's a 50-50 chance that I'll know how to use the microphone they give me. Second, uh, I'm a huge baseball guy, and all of my analogies and stories and uh, cool stuff comes from baseball. So we're going to talk about baseball again. So there's, there's this hulking mass of a kid, about 13 years old, you know, big, broad-shouldered, burly beard. I'm describing myself <laughs> as a 13-year-old, minus the beard. I probably didn't have a beard. But I'm, uh, I'm heading to this tryout for, uh, I'm transitioning from city baseball down in Calgary to what they call big league which was, uh, you know, slightly more ranked, kind of A-ball, a little bit of traveling involved tournaments. 
If you wanted to go to the bigs, you had to go through big league in Calgary first. So I go to this tryout, have a great day, think everything's going awesome. Finish up, tryout's gone really well, change my cleats, get my shoes on, and I'm heading out with my dad. And as we're walking away from the diamond toward the parking lot, the coach comes trotting up to us, pulls us aside, and he says, uh, hey, good to meet you guys. You know, I was new on the scene. I was the youngest coming into that stage, so they hadn't met me before. So you really impressed us today. We're really excited to have you on the team. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. And we're very excited. Didn't expect to hear that quickly. I'd made the team awesome. I, I'm awesome. I'm super impressive. And uh, a couple weeks go by, don't hear anything. Another week or so goes by, and then I get a call from some other guy named Ralph, who coaches the Canadians team, which is not the A-League team. It's, uh, you know, crappy baseball. For the guys who couldn't make the A-team. So I'm distraught. My dad was probably more distraught than I was because this coach had gone out of his way to run up, pull us aside, and tell us how, how great things went. And like we didn't ask any questions. We didn't ask to be pulled aside. So like, why did he go out of his way to make this promise and subsequently break it? You know, it's unfortunate. But we'll talk about that another time. Let's look at another promise. Not from some coach guy. Not from some, you know, terrible human. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm a little hard on him. He came and watched a couple of my games. He was very nice. Uh, but not from some coach. From Jesus. We're looking at a promise from Jesus. You know, and Jesus promised something magnificent to those who follow him. You know, he promised the coming of, of the Spirit. An advocate. A counselor. As one translation puts it. You know, the indwelling of God himself. In the form of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus, Pastor Adam talked last week about it as well. Jesus is telling his disciples he's about to leave. You know, this is his last night with them. And he's starting to reiterate that now. He's letting them know he's leaving very soon. He won't be with them physically much longer. You know, but in the background, the disciples, they're still really expecting this exuberant fulfillment of the messianic promise. You know, where Israel would be restored with God at the helm. So him telling him that, him telling them that he's leaving has cast a bit of a shadow on that. You know, what, what does that mean? You know, he said in John 14, 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. Um, but then he reiterates, I am leaving. And the disciples, I would imagine, I'm projecting here a little bit, but I would imagine that they are feeling a bit like God's reneging on his promise. Like that coach did to me. And I would imagine they very much are troubled. You know, why are you leaving? Why do you have to leave? You know, they're thinking back to the promise that God made through Moses. And we read in Deuteronomy 31.6. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's what, they're, that's what they're ruminating on. This is what they've grown up reading. This is what they've grown up being taught. God will not leave them. You know, now they've been walking with God physically, and he's saying that he is leaving them. You know, but Jesus' words throughout this passage, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to burn through the passage a little bit and then circle back around, so don't worry, I'm not, you know, not going to be done in two minutes. But, unless you want me to be done in two minutes. Then. Uh, but Jesus' words through this passage, through verses 15 to 31, really hammer home the point that God will not forsake or leave them. He will not abandon them. And he says that in verse 18. I will not abandon you as orphans. And in verse 20, he says, I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. 
In verse 23, it says, We will come to you and make our home with you. He's continuing to promise this presence with them. He's not leaving. He's leaving physically, but he's not leaving. And and in verse 16, he says that he'll ask the Father and send an advocate, the counselor, to be with us, to be with them forever. But what is the Spirit sent to do? You know, the, the word advocates used, the word counselor, the word comforter. But, you know, really it kind of is the idea of, of legal counsel, uh, an advocate, somebody who comes alongside you, who knows the truth, who is able to remind you of the truth, teach you, walk with you, support you, and defend you. And, you know, the Spirit teaches us and leads us into truth. In verse 26, it says that. In verse 26 as well, it says the Spirit will remind us of Jesus' teaching and all of his words. You know, there's, there's a lot in that three-year span that, that Jesus spent with them physically that he said. And he's promising that his presence will be with them, that the Spirit will advocate for them and will continue to remind them of all that he had taught, will be with them, leading them into that truth. And then he mentions that he'll leave his followers with peace in verse 27. You know, and this is not, not the world's peace, not the absence, not simply the absence of conflict. You know, there is there's sufficient hatred, evil, selfishness, fear, anger, and sin in the world to quickly overturn attempts at peace. You know, we've seen that all too often throughout history, all throughout history. Wars raging, rumors of more war, just tumult constantly in various places around the globe. The world's peace can never last with the presence of sin. With selfish people at the helm of organizations, countries, whatever it may be, peace cannot last. And we're so much more well-connected now than we ever have been throughout history. So we're constantly aware of all the terrible stuff that's happening every day. You know, we continue to watch fallout from from the deadly earthquake that took place in Syria and Turkey. And we have friends, brothers and sisters that worship with us here at TCC who have family in those areas. And we continue to pray for those situations, pray for deliverance and healing, and support those that we can physically. You know, and the war continues in Ukraine, in other areas of the world as well. We continue to pray for those situations and help those that we can physically. And, you know, in light of all of the the terrible stuff going on, all the the bad news that we continue to hear every day, you know, there's a troubling rise in anxiety and depression. You know, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Canada has released reports that state anxiety, feelings of depression, and loneliness are at the highest among Canadian adults ever. Never before has it been this high. And the reality is, we want peace. We don't want to feel like that. We don't want to see this bad news every day. But what does peace look like? We've never seen it last. You know, is it possible? And as for what Jesus' followers of that day wanted, what his disciples were looking for, and as one of the commentators put it in my study, peace was one of the fundamental characteristics of the Messianic kingdom that was anticipated by the Jews. This peace would be a lasting peace. Not simply just another period of time in their lives with no war. 
But it was understood as when Israel would reign with the Messiah on the throne, with God at the helm. Now, no more Egypt, no more Babylon, no more Rome, no more of these kingdoms reigning over them, crushing them. They would be reigning with their Messiah, with their God. And yet Jesus' promise of peace did not meet these physical requirements. You know, it didn't mean that the events of the cross that were about to take place, it hadn't taken place yet, but it was about to. That night, things were kicking off. It didn't mean those events were going to cease. It didn't mean the resurrection and what transpired after the fact for the disciples would stop. You know, his peace came not in the form that Israel was waiting for, but rather it came in a way to secure composure and dissolve fear and anxiety in the midst of trouble and turmoil on an individual level. You know, Jesus absorbed all of the malice, all of the evil, hatred, selfishness, anger, fear, all of sin. He absorbed it on the cross. And he ushered in peace in a way that no one envisioned, that no one thought made any sense. You know, and as Paul writes to the church later in Philippians 4, 7, and the promise that we have now as followers of Jesus, it's, it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. It is a peace that doesn't make sense. And I'm going to brief segue into a, a bit of a funny story. My preparation for this sermon in particular over this last week, week and a half, um, my level of anxiety and stress was probably the highest it had ever been when I was prepping a talk of any kind. And uh, as I was praying over it, asking the Lord for wisdom and guidance, and just, you know, help my troubled heart, Lord. It was like this wave of comfort and peace washed over me, along with a little bit of a rebuke. You know, I'm, I'm gearing up to tell all of you about this promised peace. You know, Jesus is telling his followers, don't be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You know, I'm leaving you with peace. I'm leaving you with my presence. I'm gearing up to tell you about this, and I'm not thinking that that's for me in that moment. And the Lord rebuked me a little bit. You know, you're speaking about my words, my words that promise peace, comfort, and lack of anxiety. Don't let your heart be troubled. Why are you so anxious? And that was the question running through the week. Why am I so anxious? So I'm not anxious anymore. That's all you have to do. Just ask you know, that's, it doesn't always happen that way for me, but this week it was just an awesome picture of what that peace looks like and the fact that Jesus states that you don't need to be troubled is true and he will step into that if you ask him. No, but his love is the catalyst for this promise. God's love for us is what puts us in the place that we are now with the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, God first loved us. And love, this love's not just an emotion, it's not just a feeling. You know, I've been watching a lot of hockey lately. Not the team you guys cheer for, but during the commercial breaks, <laughs> there's been a lot, of, um, a lot of commercials for The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, which drive me nuts. But they talk about love, and their understanding of love is so far from the truth, it's not even funny. The love, it's not just an emotion or a feeling. Biblical love, the love of God, involves action. Love is commitment. You know, the entire reason that Jesus came as a man was because of God's love for his creation. 
They loved us so deeply that Jesus came to die a horrible death, be raised from the dead, and usher in this peace and this life with him. But both Jesus and the Spirit were present with the Father, one with the Father during creation. His Spirit was hovering over the waters. His Spirit breathed life into us. In John 1, verse 1 to 3, John writes that, all things, all things were created through Jesus. That includes us. You know, and they, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit experienced this love together. They experienced this love for us as their created beings, made in their image. And Jesus is preparing his disciples for his physical departure right here, the fulfillment of that call to save us and bring us back into relationship because of that love. You know, he knew this was his last night with them. And he bookends this section, verses 15 to 31, with calls to love and obedience in light of that love. You know, in verse 15, it says, if we love Jesus, we will obey him. In verse 31, Jesus reminds us he loves the Father and he obeys the Father. So God loves us first. And we then love God. But how, how do we love God? And we often talk about what love could be, what love for God is. But Jesus calls us to obedience. In verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And again in verse 23, he, he reiterates, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. The way this is worded, this verse 23 in particular Specifically in the original language, it, it expands that to include the teaching of Jesus in its totality. It's not specific ethical precepts or a couple of particular commands he's referencing. It's all of his teaching. And as I was just commenting before, you know, Jesus is one with the Father. And right after verse 23 and verse 24, he says, These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So by extension, the teaching and revelation of God in its totality is what this is referring to. It's what Jesus is referring to. You know, the revelation of God we have in Scripture, in his word to us. And all of God's words are the teaching and commands that Jesus is calling us to obey. But there's so much there. The Bible's huge. You know, what are we supposed to do with that? Are there, like, important ones I can focus more on? Or, or what does that look like? You know, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six to 40, Jesus is asked that question. What are the most important commandments? And he tells us first, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And second, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says this sums up all the law, all the prophets. This sums up the commands of God. And as another group of commentators stated, you know, our obedience and love for Jesus Reaches, reaches its fullest expression when we love our brothers and sisters as he commanded. And when we're committed to one another, not simply feeling like we like one another or having that feeling of love or that emotional response, when we're committed to one another and when we're committed to the Father. You know, and Jesus is committed to the Father and obedient to his will. In verse 31, he reminds them, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly as the Father commanded me. 
And Jesus doesn't call us to something that he's not willing to do himself, that he was not willing to, to model for us. And he showed the ultimate obedience, the ultimate commitment, both to his Father and to us. Death on a cross, bearing the shame and sin for all people for all time. Because of his love for us. And that love is going to lead us into the promise. The promise is life with God forever. In verse 19 to 20, he says, Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And following his resurrection, Jesus mentions in this passage, the world is no longer going to see him. Not going to see him physically like they have for the last three years. But his followers would see him, and they would experience him in the same way that Jesus was going to experience the Father when he returned to be united with him. And they would send the Spirit, our Counselor. God himself will be with us forever beyond this life and into the next. But more than simply being with us, it's, it's union with God. The promise is union with God. You know, in verse 23, Jesus replies, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and, he will, and we will come to him and make our home with him. You know, as, as Adam mentioned last week, we talk about the triune God a lot, the fact that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one. You know, it's part of a major part of our theology as a North American Baptist church. Um, but that concept would have been mind-boggling to the, to the first audience. You know, first, they've had to accept the fact that God himself has come to walk as a man. That Jesus and God are one. And they, you know, they've started to accept that. They've been with Jesus. They've seen all that he's done. They're like, okay. But that's been hard enough to accept. And now he's leaving physically, but promises that he will come to dwell within them as individuals. Just wild. Absolutely wild. And that same promise is now for us. That his presence is with us. That the spirit is with us. You know, and we experience this presence, this unity with God in remarkable ways. Now, I was looking, I wasn't really looking, they just came this week, um, some, some examples of that. And, uh, you know, we talk a lot about the negative, horrific things taking place in the world, and rightly so. But there's also, there's a lot of good. There's so much evidence of the power and presence of Jesus that we often miss. You know, that I often miss as I'm so focused on all the bad, I'm unwilling to see the presence of Jesus and, and the working of Jesus in the Spirit. You know, I heard a report a couple days ago of a group of children saved from beneath the rubble in Turkey. You know, they'd been there for a week after the earthquake. And when they were pulled out by this rescue crew and asked how on earth they survived that whole week, they told the rescue workers that there was a man with them under the rubble, clothed in a white robe that looked like he was covered in light, feeding them and giving them water and ministering to them. You know, and I'll, I'll never know why 
you know, some, some stories like that come and others aren't saved. But the fact is these children experience the presence of Jesus. You know, someone was with them, ministering to them, feeding them, and giving them water. Now we look down at what's taking place in the U.S., and I know there's going to be a variety of opinions on Asbury and, and the revival and everything that's taking place. But I think we can all agree that the world's a mess right now. We need a lot more Jesus. We need a lot more of the Spirit. We need more worship, more prayer. And the fact that thousands of people are singing the same worship songs that we sing every Sunday, all day, every day. Groups of people are praying, praying for deliverance from sin, praying for their cities, their nations, praying for individuals. Now, there's power in prayer. There's power in corporate worship. I was brought to tears just this morning singing with all of you. The, the act of corporate worship and feeling the presence of God with us is a remarkable thing. And it's amazing to watch that take place. And as Adam mentioned as well, in our own sphere of life here in Edmonton, our good friend Bob Teske has made a miraculous recovery. You know, we uh, got a text from his wife Val this week. Thing, a week and a half ago, she was planning Bob's funeral. Being told by the doctors, any moment now, he'll be gone. And then Friday, we get a report that he's walking on his own. He's even trying to do the stairs. And uh, it's, it's, it's remarkable. But the fact is, prayer is powerful. You know, Val is exhausted, but she has mentioned that the prayers of those that love them are sustaining her. She can feel the Lord's presence. You know, the, the presence of the Almighty God is with us. He's moving. He loves us. You know, we're often cynical. You know, believing this sort of thing doesn't happen anymore. We read about it in Scripture, and that's great. But, you know, anytime we hear a story about that now, we kind of cast it aside as a fanatical thing that, that, you know, that can't be. But it does happen. It happens all the time. And it should be celebrated. You know, and speaking of experiencing his presence, again, as Adam was talking about, this Wednesday's Ash Wednesday, and the first day of Lent. And if you're anything like me, you've often used Lent as an excuse to try and stop eating something you've been telling yourself you shouldn't eat for a long time. Like, oh man, I've been eating a lot of dessert lately. I think I'm going to give dessert up for Lent because it's the easiest thing to give up and I feel like it'll help me physically. And then coffee will pop into my mind, and I'll be like, well, sure, I have, you know, three, four, five cups of coffee a day, but I'm not really dependent on that. It doesn't, that's not an issue, so I'll avoid the coffee thing, and I'll just give up dessert. Yeah. But that's not, that's not what Lent is about. If you're like me, that's what it's been like. But instead of, you know, using this 40-day period of Lent as a, an, an excuse to give something up that's, in some cases, relatively easy... I want to I ask you guys to join me in seeking to experience God's presence and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And start doing something that we haven't done before. Intentionally take time to make space for Jesus. And consider joining our ministry team, as Adam mentioned, in our 24-hour fast each week. Uh, we can even text about it throughout the day and complain about how hungry we are and how many chicken wings we'd like to eat together. But um, 
You know, as we restrain ourselves from being filled with food, even for a moment, even for a day, let us seek to be filled with the Spirit and what God has for us. So I want, I want to leave us with kind of three, three quick things in light of this. Practically, what are some things that we can take today? One, let's be teachable. You know, the Spirit will teach us and guide us daily. And Jesus promised that the Spirit of truth is with us, is in us. And the Spirit will remind us of Jesus' teaching. And the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one. And all revelation through Scripture, all that we have written, is Jesus' teaching. And obedience to that teaching is love for God. So be teachable. Be open to what the Spirit has for you. Second, seek truth. You know, Jesus says, I am the truth. Last week we went through that. You know, don't, don't go searching for what society says truth is today. You know, relative, whatever it needs to be for you in that moment. Search for Jesus. Experience his presence. Intentionally seek to experience his presence. You know, he has never changed. He never will change. He is the truth, and the truth will set you free. And third, love with abandon. You know, as I mentioned, love's not simply a feeling. It's not something we can just conjure up. Love is work. Love is commitment. You know, a lot of us have experienced that in our own lives. It's something we've practiced in our marriages, with our kids, with our parents, friends at school, whatever it is. There's times when you've realized it's hard, but you realize that it's important. And you put the work in. The so love is commitment. Jesus' commands can be summed up like this. Love God and love others. Now first and foremost, love God. Not just when you feel like it. Not just when you need something. Be committed to him. Especially when it's hard. Or especially when it's easy. When life is hunky-dory. Everything's going awesome. Be committed to God. Practice experiencing his presence. Practice being with him and finding out what he has for you. Because there will come a time when it's not so easy. And that commitment will come into play. And then love others. You know, not just when you feel like it. Not just when they happen to have similar interests or cheer for the same hockey team. Not just when you feel like it. But especially when it's hard. Especially when you don't get along that well. Because there will be times when you don't get along that well. And when we love, when we commit, first to God and then to everyone else around us, we walk in obedience to God. We walk in obedience to Jesus' teaching. And the promise that we step into when we walk in that obedience is worth everything that we can ever give. Now, the promise is union with the almighty creator of the universe. Union with our Father, union with our brother, union with our counselor. Let's pray.
God, we love you. You are awesome. And thank you that even though not a single one of us could do a single thing to earn your love, you loved us first. Thank you that when we are filled with anxiety, when we're depressed or lonely, when we're at our wits end, Lord, you are there. You promised us peace, peace that doesn't make sense, peace that surpasses understanding. And our hearts need not be troubled because as you have promised, promised, you will never leave us. You'll never forsake us. You will not abandon us. You have come to make your home with us. And for that, we are grateful. And Spirit, spark revival in our hearts. And may that spill over into revival in our communities, our workplaces, our schools, our city, our nation, and to the ends of the earth. Amen.